0: And welcome back, everyone, to the Beyond the Profile podcast. I'm your host, Shiny. Hope you all had a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving. I want to dive right in here. We have Noah Gabriel Landis on the show, where we go over topics such as fitness, the fitness industry, how he became the head programmer and head coach for a CrossFit gym, and really his passion for personal training and how he developed that into a business called Priority Strength so much, so much more. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome everyone. And thank you for tuning in today. I'm joined on the show by a former colleague and good friend. He's a former Mid-Atlantic regional CrossFit competitor Former head coach and owner of CrossFit Praxis, Praxis based in Washington, D.C., an entrepreneur and currently the founder and head coach of Priority Strength, a personal training and online coaching platform built with precision workouts, customized for all types of preferences and styles. He's also been my strength coach for nearly three years now. That good friend of mine is Noah Gabriel Landis. Noah, thanks for joining the show, my man.
1: Hey, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. So I just kind of want to dive right into the interview because you are someone that I've known for a few years now. You've been my coach for three or four years. I just want to get a sense because there's just so much material that we have here. You know, you you said that you started in finance. What was, what was the reasoning behind that? Or was it kind of just like, you know what, everyone does finance. I could make a little bit of money and, and just start my, you know, career.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good summation um, where I think I, like a lot of us, um, you know, I, I, I struggled a little bit earlier on in my career to kind of figure out exactly what it is I wanted to do. I was a reasonably good student um, and, you know, I got decent enough grades and went to a, a decent school and, you know, I got a degree in economics because conceptually all of the things kind of made sense to me and it was just it was kind of the next logical step ever since I was just, you know, studying in high school, you know, you go to high school and then you go to college and then you get a degree and you find a job that kind of matches that degree. And it kind of feels like the choices are in a lot of ways being made for you. And it took me until I was about 25 years old to kind of realize that, you know, I'm kind of fed up with just kind of doing the next logical step in the progression. And I started kind of asking myself what it is that I actually enjoy and what are the things that I would rather spend more of my, my waking hours doing and being in the finance world was not that um, I, the way I describe it, I, I don't, it was, it was not bad to me. I mean, it was a, a, a solid, safe career. It just, it wasn't, it was for somebody else. It wasn't for me. Um, so I, I, we were chatting a little bit earlier before we began, but I I say this most opportunities that I get that just, I consider myself to be supremely lucky just because I actually feel confident knowing what it is I want to do with my life. And I feel like that that's actually a much rarer thing than a lot of people might think.
0: Yeah. And, and that's definitely true. And I know for me personally, just like we were talking about before, I mean, it's hard to find exactly what you want to do. And that's kind of the premise of this pod is to get an understanding from people that have found their passions and found happiness in the careers that they're in. And I kind of want to get that turning point between where you were, you know, after college and when you started with finance and what was that, what was kind of that off-road point for you where you were like, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. You know, what was the decision-making behind going into maybe competing in CrossFit or to, um, managing gyms and things like that, that you were involved in?
1: Well, so I, I, I discovered CrossFit more as a competitive outlet or a recreational outlet, I suppose. First, certainly before I would, I considered it to be, um, you know, fitness to be a, a, a potential career path for me, but it was something that I enjoyed a lot. I spent as much time as I could devote to it as I could. Um, and it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what moment it was where things kind of clicked and I decided that I wanted to have a career shift. But I guess if I, as I'm thinking about it now, I, 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 a lot of the hours that I spent at my desk in the finance world, you know, it was kind of, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate, kind of just waiting for the clock to take away. It was just trying to kind of burn through hours so I could get to the stuff that I, I really enjoyed. And it was hard to muster up a whole lot of enthusiasm for the practice. And I actually have to credit one my 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 final employer in the finance world. I worked in very small firms, um, so there were th- three of us. And my superior her name was Jen. She worked herself to the bone at her practice, and I didn't really understand how somebody could devote that much of themselves to anything, especially something that I didn't really care that much about. And I suppose that probably contributed a bit to me. Thinking, well, if somebody can love what they do that much and care something, care about it that much, maybe this isn't that thing for me, because it clearly isn't evoking the same kind of mm, passion, I suppose, or at least urgency. Um, And that was my, my last step in the financial world. And after that, um, I suppose the wheels did kind of start turning and I kind of started to think what, what might be a path for me to kind of break into something entirely new.
0: And, and it's always good to find someone that, you know, just loves something or just is really passionate about something for you to learn off of that person as well. Um, I mean, even, even with your superior, you know, even though she was passionate about finance and that's something to you that was just like, wait, how do you, how do you even do that? Gets the gears churning a little bit on, okay, what would make me happy and what could make me motivated into what I do? Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to get kind of on that CrossFit path that you were on. When did you get started with it? You know, what year was it? And, you know, over the years you ended up managing and owning different gyms. Um, or being the program manager, uh, writing different programs of, of the gym that we were both a part of CrossFit practices, you know, what was that point where you wanted to be involved in CrossFit?
1: Well, um, it's hard to pinpoint what the moment was, but I can tell you a little bit about the, the experience and kind of a run-up to it where I, when I did kind of get to, you know, the event horizon, I suppose you can say, and I was committed to, you know, kind of trying, trying to find a way to get my foot in the door of the fitness world. Um, I, I began just trying to kind of make friends with people that I knew had done that. So I was a member of a CrossFit gym in Arlington, Virginia, and I really respected the guy that ran it. Um, his name's Brian Wilson, still, um, a a good friend of mine, great dude. And I, I kind of approached him honestly. And I said, look, I, I, this is something I'm really interested in. I see that you are running a successful practice here, I would love any opportunity to kind of know a little bit more about it. And in hindsight, I'm glad that I went into it with a more, um, I I, I tried not to insist that I was um, deserving of that opportunity, so I paid a membership. I just asked for outlets to kind of learn and, you know, kind of do some extracurricular activity. And I tried to make it worth his while for me to be kind of hanging around. And that eventually bore fruits. I uh, was tied in with a a former CrossFit athlete named uh, uh, Christy Phillips, uh, Christy, Christy Atkins now. And she was a coach at a CrossFit gym in DC, and she knew that the owner there was um, in the early stages of the business and needed some man hours, and put me in touch. And that's kind of how the whole thing began. So much of the the many of the steps in my my career progression have been about trying to actively find connections and just being frank with people and saying, "This is what I would like to do. Is there anything I can do for you that makes it worthwhile?" for me to kind of be on the team.
0: And that kind of gets me to my next point about what you were doing with CrossFit Praxis. It wasn't your typical, um, I'm putting, you know, air quotes right now, your typical box where you run yourself down, you get, you know, super sweaty you know, it's it's super long workouts. You put your time in writing these programs to make sure that we got Everything out of the programming, whether that be strength related, whether that be understanding the types of movements that we were doing, you know, tell us a little bit about that because I think that kind of goes into what you're doing right now with Priority Strength, um, and and how you get involved in in the whole strength product of fitness?
1: Sure. So I, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about CrossFit and that was kind of the first half of my career. And I have since moved away from it. I, I started off um, as, you know, fairly kind of typical CrossFit booster that talks about it incessantly and drives all of his friends crazy. I was absolutely that guy. And I've since, become quite the opposite. Um, I, I, as far as the the methodology goes, I've turned away from it. I, I, I don't think it is optimal. And that was when I came on board at Praxis. that was kind of a transition point for me. I'd become a little cynical about the CrossFit methodology and it was fairly ingrained at Praxis when I came on board. And as you know, we became kind of a CrossFit counterculture box. The workouts were a little bit different. Um, and so, you know, I, just to kind of take a quick step back, you know, C- CrossFit was a great introduction for me into the fitness world. It was a very important first step for me, and it was very, very good to me for a long time. I don't want to poo-poo it too much, and I still have a, a, a great respect for uh, many coaches and friends that are still in that world. But it, it, was, it was a stepping stone, and we have kind of since moved on to other things as I feel that I've kind of developed as a coach.
0: And what, what sort of counsel did you get along the way to, you know, take you away from that CrossFit mentality um, to really you writing your own programming and getting into the, I guess we can just call it strength mentality of, of different types of movement. Sure.
1: So I think there's, there are kind of two polar opposites to the answers to that question. The first answer is counsel along the way for the first part of my career when I was very deep in the CrossFit world is I didn't have much in the way of counseling. And that was problematic in that I think back to my coaching, the first half of my coaching career, and I was very much operating with blinders on. And I do think that that's something that, you know, anybody that is kind of trying to devote their careers to a passion project might want to be careful of. Because, I was so passionate about that particular dogma that I wasn't especially receptive to criticism of it. And because of that, because I didn't really have much in the way of outside counsel or role models or mentors, everything was just kind of mainlining that particular methodology. It was hard to think outside of it and grow as a professional. I wasn't so much an entrepreneur as I was just another soldier in the CrossFit army. And it was about six uh, six or seven years ago when I was kind of actually forced by my business partner to try something a little new, um, to kind of branch out and see what else is out there in the fitness world. And that was kind of where everything started to snowball. And I really kind of developed both as a coach and as a professional. And I would advise to anybody that is thinking about kind of pursuing a career based on a passion that you have to look at things objectively. You have to take a top down approach. You have to look at your passion as agnostically as you can, at least a little bit of the time and try and play devil's advocate with yourself. Try and think of the things about particular paths that you're following that might not be quite as perfect as you might want them to be because it will end up making you a better professional after all.
0: No, that's a, And that's a really great point. And the things that you were talking about in the beginning, it kind of sounded like it was not a lot of counsel, but just a lot of trial and error, basically.
1: Well, um, it was a lot of trial, but unfortunately because I didn't have counsel, I didn't have feedback. I wasn't getting the utility of the error. And okay. I can see now in my, like I, I think back to some of the things I did in my earlier career as a coach and I'm not, super proud of them and i mean i'm glad that they have you know they were they have kind of helped mold me into the coach that i am but um trial and error is a really really important part of developing any business and developing any practice but you have to be you have to be honest with yourself about what errors you're making and use them as learning opportunities and for the first i don't know couple years I wasn't as receptive as I should have been because to be honest, you know, in the heyday, the early heydays of CrossFit, the margin for error was pretty big. You didn't have to be great at what you did. You could just kind of, as I've said before, you just write CrossFit on a pizza box and magic marker and slap it up on a wall and people would hand you a credit card. And I admit I rode that way for a little while for, you know, a year or so. Um, But then things kind of got a little tighter. Um, You know, there was a little competition. You had to actually set yourself apart. You had to be good at what you did and when I started to more closely devote myself to being good at my practice, I realized that there were certain inherent things about my practice that themselves were not good. And I needed to look outside of that initial CrossFit channel to kind of grow a little more.
0: And that's and that's one of the things that kind of drew me to, well, just to back up even, even further a little bit, we both have a mutual friend of ours. I went to college with him. He was a partner with you, not a business partner, but um, a I guess a CrossFit teammate um, was Hank Mason. And yeah. 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 And so he brought me to a competition that you guys were competing in back in 2013 or something like that. And I saw you guys compete and I was like, oh my God, this is this is absurd. I don't know how they're doing this, but I love it. And then I started to get into the whole coaching aspect and learning under you. There were a lot of members within the group that would ask, you know, why are we doing this movement? What does this do? And you always answered that question. Simple, simple answer. You always had an answer for it. And that's something that you don't see a lot in these types of, I don't know, fitness, um, like an orange theory or like a berries, you know, not many people have sure. an answer as to why you're doing that type of movement. And what that does for you. I
1: totally agree with you. And that is a question that I wish I had asked myself way more often earlier on in my career. And even beyond my CrossFit career. I can think back to times where I was in the finance world and you know I wasn't especially high on the totem pole, so I didn't think to ask why. But asking why you're doing something is critically important. And I encourage um, all of my clients to ask those very questions. Why are we choosing this particular exercise? Why are we resting for three minutes as opposed to four? Why are we pairing these two things together? Why are we working out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as opposed to these days? Because there, make no mistake, there should be an answer to every conceivable question that can be asked about your business. And if it does not have a good answer, you should come up with one or you should change why you're doing those things. And I recognize now that earlier on in my career, the answer to why I was doing most things was because somebody else told me that that was the right way to do it. And when you only have one source of information, that's very problematic. So that kind of goes back to the the passion part of my passion project where I don't want to dissuade anybody from following their passion, but it is very important and has made me into the, the the coach that I am today. But you need to also take a more intellectual approach and you have to be self-reflective. You should ask why of yourself or insist that other people ask why of you because you need to have that kind of feedback. I, I consider that to be one of the most important parts parts of what I do. and it's why I encourage everybody that I work with and everybody that I have worked with for at least the last six or seven years to ask as many questions as they want because it's important to me that I have an answer for them. It's a good stress test to the quality of your product.
0: Exactly. and that's and that's um, like you said, it's it's with any career that you might have, it's within any industry, you know, I personally look up to someone, and I feel like a lot of people do look up to people that really know the ins and outs and can really answer every single question of the business that they're in. It doesn't have to be their business, but just something that they're involved in and that they're passionate about. Like if they can understand and answer those questions in a concise manner for you to understand it, then I, I don't know. Just there's just so much respect behind that.
1: Well, I, 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 think you're onto something there and I think there's an important word that you put in there, which is concise, where I think it's, um, a, as a younger professional, especially, I'm sure it's like this in other industries, but it drives me bonkers in the fitness industry where, if, you know, I'll, I'll see a, a younger trainer working. And if somebody is asking you a question that is not an opportunity for you to show off how many triple word score type yeah. words, you know, it drives me insane where the part of you being a professional is to distill information down into doses that are understandable for non-professionals, where just because you have a need to show off how much you know, that needs to be secondary to making sure that the client understands. And those are not the same things.
0: And that's one of the things that you taught me too. You, you just told me to just stop with the buzzwords because people don't really understand it and be as simple as possible, because sometimes it's the hardest thing for people to really describe in terms of movements.
1: And it's, I I appreciate that it is a challenging thing to do because part of, I I suspect anyway, um, because it was something that I struggled with and I'm sure it's something that is not a unique problem to other young professionals that are kind of dipping their toe in the water of a new industry where you're looking for opportunities to prove to other people how much, you know, because it validates that you're in the right place. Uh-huh. And anytime if you're a young personal trainer, and somebody asks you, you know, what should I be eating? Or what does this exercise do? It's so tempting to kind of launch into a diatribe, because it gives you a platform to prove not just to them, but to kind of prove to yourself that yes, I totally know what I'm talking about. But once you kind of have a little bit more confidence in what you're doing and you don't feel the need to prove it every opportunity, it becomes so much easier to start thinking about the quality of information that you're delivering to the client, as opposed to just finding every chance you can to say something that sounds smart.
0: Um, And and I think this is like a good point to really pivot into the next conversation. And that's really about what you're doing right now uh, with priority strength. Do you want to give us like a little summary as to what Priority Strength is and the type of work that you're doing?
1: Sure. Um, priority Shank is a company that I founded uh, after I kind of removed myself from my initial uh, CrossFit foray into the fitness world. Uh, it was kind of born out of a, a appreciation for more traditional strength and conditioning methodologies and trying to marry them with some of the things that I loved about the CrossFit world. Priority Strength is an online platform that focuses on uh, coaching and program design. The idea is that you can, we have a proprietary app where you can sign up for a membership. And then with that membership, you can choose from a slate of workouts dependent on what it is you want to achieve, what type of workout frequency you're looking for, and a number of other parameters. So basically, we have kind of a menu that you can choose from. And then workouts and supplemental coaching content are then fed to your phone and you take those to the gym with you. So it's my, my hope with the product is that it delivers a lot of the benefits that you get with personal training, but at a much, much, much more affordable cost point and one that affords you the flexibility of not having to schedule around a personal trainer's calendar.
0: Going back a tiny bit, the the stuff that you were doing in CrossFit was mostly in person. So all of this online stuff is you're kind of behind the app a little bit, but but you're also someone that's always checks their email, is always responsive on any questions that people might have. How was this kind of a? How is this just completely different than what you were doing before? Was it? Did it take some time? What was the adjustment period between? what you were doing previously and and what you're doing right now.
1: Well, um, I I think it would be disingenuous to say that there was an adjustment period that has ended. Um, You know, (laughs) every, every day things are kind of changing and evolving and especially, you know, we're recording this in July of 2020 and the world is a very bizarre place outside. A lot of places are closed down and, everybody is kind of changing some of the core concepts of what they have to do. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, but certainly I am, I know a lot of other folks that are too. So it's, you know, it's a constant churn. Things are always kind of transitioning and things are always kind of developing and I'm always looking for ways to kind of move the practice forward. So it's not so much like, you know, something flipped, something changed and here I am. It's been much more of a steady kind of constant evolution and, um, as, as, as much as I kind of like to, you know, portray that, you know, we're kind of settled and we've made it and this is exactly what we are, um, that, that's not the case. We're always trying to kind of improve upon the product and, and change to meet the demands of a changing world. So, um, you know, to get back to your question it was largely born out of circumstance. Um, you know, after uh, my departure from my, the, the first CrossFit gym that I worked at in DC, I still knew that I wanted to be in the fitness industry. Um, but I didn't have a location to do that in, but I still had a lot of uh, clients that respected what I did and they, they wanted my advice. So I needed to come up with a solution that would allow me to deliver the same kind of product, even if I wasn't in the same room with them. So it was largely kind of born out of necessity, as I think a lot of kind of businesses are. And it's kind of evolved since then, where I wanted to continue to be a resource for the people that I had developed relationships with. And then from there, it became, well, if this is working as well as it seems to be, can I turn it into a business idea and then get people in who were not original contacts of mine?
0: Yeah, yeah. And was there any point in time where... Your your back was kind of against the wall when when you heard that people still wanted your advice from from the um, programs that you were developing, but you were kind of on the outs of of CrossFit and wanting to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of um, you know back against the wall like I need to do this quickly, or did you really take your time to formulate this business?
1: Well, um, sure. I, I think you know any. Any startup, any any small business is largely in a constant state of feeling like your back is up against the wall, and you know there are times that are tougher than others. But I, 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 to in some ways, I kind of hope that I never stop feeling the pressure of needing to kind of make things better and improve upon the quality of what I offer to my clientele. So. But more specifically, yes, there have been times where, um, you know, things were a little more desperate and I didn't exactly know where where my career was was going to go. But those end up being some of the most formative moments in any young practice, I think, because it kind of forces you to look inward. It forces you to make critical decisions about what you want your company to be. So while those moments at the time are often excruciating. Um, they they, they are at the same time an opportunity and in some ways I'm grateful that I was forced out of prior careers because I wouldn't be where I am now otherwise.
0: And that force out again, like you felt the pressure, it got to a point where you needed to do something, but along the way and, and as your company kind of matured, Mm -hmm. You know, you brought on some clients. Um, I believe a couple of them were Miss Universe contestants, mm-hmm. um, or pageant contestants, uh, and I, I don't know how many that you're training. I, I think I knew like two or three of them on, mm-hmm. uh, through your Instagram. Mm-hmm. But how did you how did you get involved with these types of clients?
1: Um, well, that. A little bit of uh, good fortune. I I happen to be friends with uh, with someone, uh, Brittany Mason. She owns a, a fashion marketing company, and she's the purveyor of Miss Universe Ireland. And they needed a trainer to work with some of their their contestants, and that's been a great relationship for the last couple of years. So you know, I I am often um, even a little embarrassed at the good fortune that I've had in my career, but at the same time. I don't want to give the impression that it it, it entirely fell in my lap. It's just it was an opportunity that at that moment I was ready to take advantage of. And as I look back through my career, there could have been others. You know, when I when I owned uh, and managed gyms in D.C., you know, I had professional football players come through and I had um, Olympians
0: come through just totally at random and, you know, like young blue chip
1: could have been, or could maybe they still will be fantastic athletes. But the difference was I was a young coach and I wasn't equipped in any way to deal with it. And maybe I have had an extraordinary run of just encountering exceptional people, but I, I kind of think that that's not unique. I think as long as you are being, you, you're, tr- you're trying to make connections in the industry that you're passionate about, and you are kind of, making yourself available, that opportunities will come to you. The question is, are you going to be equipped to handle those opportunities? And there were plenty of times where the answer was no. And now I feel pretty good about myself as a coach. And I feel totally confident being able to coach these these young ladies. And that's just the one that happened to land for me. So I... I, I I think that it's more a question of kind of making yourself, getting yourself up to kind of a core level of competency and making yourself available and the opportunities will
0: come. Yeah, definitely. And and I think just harping on the answer that you provided, there were two main themes in there and that's patience and luck. I mean, both both are completely fine when it comes to starting your own company or having your own business or just really anything in general. You know, I don't think anyone should feel guilt or anything like that, that luck was brought upon them. Everyone has luck that, that, you know, might fall in their lap a little bit or something goes their way this time around. But then also at the same time, you were patient and, you know, maybe those other blue chippers came through, but you were also ready when the moment struck to take advantage of these types of people that came across your lap.
1: Yeah, it's um, I'm reminded of a quote that I'm sure I'm going to misattribute and butcher uh, from a golfer. I want to say Gary Player. I'm not sure who's talking about luck and said and said. You know, the the more I practice, the luckier I get, and some something to that effect. I'm sure I I screwed that up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, part part of you know, it's just kind of refining your own processes, making yourself a better professional, and then it just kind of seems that more opportunities kind of come your way, and that. you can attribute that to kind of outside forces and good fortune, but um, a lot of it is also about self-reflection, making sure that you're good at your practice and also making yourself available. Um, You know, there's, there's a a tagline from some coaches that I've worked with that, you know, part of building a good practice is being good at what you do and making sure that other people know about it. It's, It's kind of that simple. And then the opportunities will come.
0: I kind of want to go back a little bit to um, those types of clients that you have taken advantage of them coming across your gym. Mm -hmm. What, What sort of training regimen do you have for those types of Miss Universe contestants, pageant contestants? Is it something different than what normal people will come across on your online platform or your app? Or is it something that you have really sculpted together just for them?
1: You know, it is a little different, but conceptually, the answer is a resounding no. It's not different at all, and I actually think that that's really important. And it's kind—it was kind of the first chink in the armor of what kind of led me to to break away from kind of that like deep being so deep in the CrossFit world, where it was when I started to kind of see some of these you know more specialized needs come across my radar, where. They they needed something a little more specific for their 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 training. Uh, let me. How do I put this? Um, I, I became a little um, perturbed by the idea that the prescription for anybody that would come into your gym was one particular methodology. And I think that's a problem with any kind of chain fitness brand, you know, CrossFit sure, but also you know, Orange Theory, Barry's Bootcamp, whatever. Where if somebody comes through the door and they say, "Hey, I want to get stronger," okay, well, do our workout. I want to train to run a marathon. Okay, do our workout. I want to get really. I, I want to lose lose weight. Do our workout. It's like okay. Well, let's take a step back. Are you sure that that workout is exact? That product is exactly appropriate for everybody. So then I started it's like okay. Well, maybe I do need to start creating some better, more high quality workouts for these higher end clients that come across my radar. But then I thought, wait a minute. So does that mean that I'm reserving for the good stuff for the people that are famous? Because that's that that makes me a bad coach. I don't want that. I don't want to reserve quality material just for people that are going to help me break into the the, the 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 higher not the higher echelons of this career. Yeah. So if I'm going to make that type of quality workouts available for these people, they should be available for everybody. And that's kind of the crux of what my practice is built upon. It's trying to find a way to make quality workouts available for everybody. And I understand that price points make a big difference and there are compromises that need to be made, but in terms of, let's say, um, attention and coaching hours, not in terms of the quality of the workouts themselves, that's an important distinction. So to answer your question, are these workouts different? conceptually, no, they are designed for their particular goal set, as is everything that I offer to everybody. If you want to get really strong, we have a workout for you. And if you want to look like a swimwear model, we have a workout for that. It doesn't matter if you are one, we have one for that goal set. Now, if you want to be a little more specific, there are some things that are a little different about the workouts that these these girls tend to do. And small sample size is gonna play a role here. I don't wanna generalize, but um, it's not what you would think. They're much more remedial. Um, these, a lot of the, the, the ladies that I've had the good fortune of working with were starting from square one. It's just fundamentals. It's bare bones basics. And that one, I, I discovered that um, in 2017 was the first, um, the first Miss Universe client that I got to work with. And I was excited. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna pull out all the stops and do all the fancy stuff. And then it took all of 30 seconds of watching her workout. I'm like, well, can't do that. We got to go back to basics. Um, and that was a little bit of a departure because most of the people that I worked with previously, they have kind of an interest in training and fitness and that's how they find me. So, you know, we're a couple of steps higher on the progression. And so far, um, you know, the the pageant contestants that I've worked with, we're starting from square one. So it's actually in a lot of ways more basic than, than what um, – than certainly you or I or a lot of my clientele does.
0: And and I think that's something that might shine a nice little light on just any normal clientele that's not a Miss Universe or pageant contestant, that like these workouts is some are something that everyone does. And yeah, there there are some little kinks in there that might be different from others, but I mean, basics are what's gonna win, and that's what's gonna get results at the end of the day. Uh, and it's being patient in those types of basics that you're working on, whether that be squats or press or pull, whatever kind of work that you're doing. You know, the work that you do with with those contestants is mm-hmm. great. But yeah. the majority the majority of of your clientele are probably just normal people that oh, yeah. have, a a majority. have a nine to five or anything like that. Sure. But I know working with you that you're a very calculated person. You like to have people understand why they're doing the movements that they're doing, how they can get the best out of those movements. Is, is this any harder with online programs? Um, it's it's kind of a two-part question. One, is it harder? Two, what is kind of like your narrative or your sell pitch when someone comes to you that might be just an average Joe that's saying, you know, I just want to fit in my bikini. I just want to lose belly fat or lose leg fat. You know, something so specific like that.
1: Well, um, I, I try very hard to kind of have every resp- every interaction that I, I have with a client be you know anchored in honesty and objective truth, and it I'll, I'll, you know that I don't mean for that to sound like you know morally superior. It is very much just kind of a way to cover my own butt. Where you know I, I think it is it, it's it's tempting especially when you're younger and you really are looking for work and clientele to whatever somebody says to you, it's like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this to say, it's like, yep. Okay. Sign sign on the dotted line. Let's totally, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but you know, after reaching a little bit after over promising once or twice, it becomes pretty clear or at least it became pretty clear to me that it's just not worth the trouble. Um, so being, Honest and frank with people about what their goals are is really important. And to be clear, uh, all of the examples that you gave are 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 very reasonable. Um, But that's that's why I try to be so thorough with my explanations. Is because the more information and the more context I can provide, it lends credence to any time that I have to kind of make a criticism or say that you know whatever you are asking about is maybe maybe not going to be as likely. And that has costed me a couple of clients and I sleep totally fine about it because I know that I gave them the right information. If they choose not to use that information, that's on them. Uh, And I, I'm okay with that.
0: I mean, that's, that's what you like to like to hear too. I mean, you are someone that, you know, understands what you bring to the table and you don't want to deviate from that, and that's like you said, it helps you sleep at night. So, well, it's
1: it's just. I mean, it, again, it's it's just. It's I I pretty firmly believe that you know if if you're running your practice right, or at least in the context of of what I do, you know, being upfront and frank and giving abundant context and explanation for the reasons why you're doing things is mutually beneficial. It's going to help the client understand why they are getting the information, why they're going through the steps that they are. And it's also going to give you a backstop. It's going to give you plenty of, of uh, let's say ammunition. If you need to counter an objection that comes along when things don't go the right way, where I'm reminded of uh, somebody that I, I encountered, I had a brief, I did a little bit of personal training at a fairly um, uh let's say a high price point studio in San Francisco where a lot of the clientele you know San Francisco's an expensive city a lot of a lot of yeah. tech money there um, and w- I came across somebody who was a, a, a tech CEO um, real go-getter hard worker kind of guy you know like jet setting around the country multiple times a week slept four hours a night and God bless him he was a hard worker. I don't want to take <laughs> anything away from that. Um, but you know, he handed me a picture of a bodybuilder and he said, this is what I want to look like. And I said, okay. Um, step one is you got to quit your job, bud. And <laughs> he did not, I, I was a little more delicate than that, but yeah. he didn't appreciate the suggestion because he said, I, I promise I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'll do I, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it all. I'll do whatever you need me to. I'm like, I'm sure you think that you will, but that's kind of part of the problem. And it would have been really tempting to, over promise, um, for somebody like that, because he probably would have worked really, really hard. But the truth is there are, there, there are precisely zero CEO slash bodybuilders in the world. And I can't really make the first one on somebody that's sleeping for four hours a night and the pieces just aren't there. So I was upfront with him about it because I don't want to promise that and then fail to deliver and have that on my resume.
0: And I think that's something that can be taken into all industries too. Just transparency is, is key. Now, there, there, I'm sure there is a limit to some point, but especially the things that you're doing with personal training, you want to be as transparent as possible with that client to make sure that they don't have these expectations that they'll get to somewhere so high and you won't be able to meet that
1: you know i'm reminded of you know you watch house hunters and you're like hey so this person wants to commute they want to live by the beach and have a 5 minute commute to their job that's 2 hours away and she's a homemade hammock maker and he's a sandwich artisan and they want a penthouse like well there's only so much you can do with the material it doesn't do you any good to lie to them or overpromise just be honest and if they walk away move on to the next one
0: you know you we mentioned earlier in the show that you know we're we're taping this uh, july 2020 uh-huh. Um, so the, the times that we're in right now are just, are just so unprecedented and yeah. you know, every, a lot of people could be just stuck at home, um, lost their jobs, not a lot of money, maybe coming through, um, with their business, whatever that might be because of this, these COVID times, I want it's kind of a two-part question because it involves, it involves you. And then it's also advice from you. So my question is really one, what is your kind of weekly COVID-19 workout regimen if if you're not going into the gym? And then two, it's what do you recommend to the clients that you have right now that can't go into a gym? Um, because a lot of the programming that you have requires gym access.
1: It, it does. And that's how I, I, the priority strength is kind of built. All of the workouts are built on the assumption that you have access to a full service gym. And I did it specifically because I believe that that is important. I think that if you want to get optimal results, you need to have the right tools. And the easiest way for most people to have access to those tools is to have a gym membership. So that's what I've kind of built my career around. And the rug did get pulled out from under us. um, You know, me and all of us when everything kind of closed down where if I've spent a career advocating for going to a gym when gyms are closed, well, that doesn't really do us a whole lot of good. And I'm doing the best that I can to be honest about the workouts that I'm recommending and saying that they're largely, you know, they're they're not going to be perfect and I'm not going to, I'm trying really hard not to be a charlatan and say, it's like, you know what? I know times are tough, but you can still get the same workout at home. I mean, you can't, it's going to be different and it's going to be imperfect, but we have to make the most of it. And uh, again, I'm, I'm saying that as a way, not just to be, you know, morally superior and just, try and be honest, but it's a way to cover my butt because I have faith in the workouts that I was putting together previously and I know how well they work. And I can't promise those same results if you don't have the same tools to work with at home. So I'm trying to be honest with people about, it's like, you know what? A good place to start is a set of resistance bands and we can build some workouts from there. And they are problematic and they are imperfect and they're not going to deliver the same results, but you know what? Times suck and it's the best we can do. So we make the most of it. And I've actually been really encouraged. People seem to be, um, you know, people are sticking with me and they're, they're happy with the results of the program and they appreciate that, you know, it's not going to be this way forever. And I think that, again, kind of the idea of not over promising has kind of saved my butt in, in a couple of ways. And I'm happy about that. One thing that I am working on and it's become, I wonder if this is going to be a bigger part of the future, but I have a lot of clients that are now investigating, you know, investing in a home gym. And what's, what are the best ways that, you know, what's the best use of the dollars that we have and how can we kind of create the most varied, most robust workout based on, you know, a two car garage and um, you know, however much money you you want to devote to it. So that that's become a a bigger part of the kind of the, the the recommendations that I'm making. And um, you know, it's, like everybody, we're doing the best to kind of pivot and adjust and keep our feet under us the best we can during these tough times.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about transparency. I mean, you letting, you letting people know, I mean, these are shitty times, you know, like you're trying your best. I know that the client is trying their best in their job in the situation that they're in. And hopefully we can all just like Get a nice sweat on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I part of it is that you know my, my business model is bent on is um, built on client retention. Um, you know, I, I everybody that I work with, you know, they, we kind of we have a you know an ongoing relationship, and yeah. you know, both functionally in terms of their fitness and also financially for me. So I, I I can't afford to just, you know, kind of sell the farm for like a big payday and, you know, sell out and lie because that's not the way my practice even works. And it, I honestly, I've seen so many garbage home workout products, like scrolling through social media that half the time, I I think it's a funnier die sketch. I don't (laughs) get some of the stupid tools that are coming out and it's frustrating Cause I know that they wouldn't exist if people weren't buying into it, but I hope at the end of the day, people kind of realize that, you know, having some useful advocacy is worth so much more than having the next at home fitness workout gadget that you're just going to end up, you know, hanging your clothes on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of them I saw the other day, looks like a bow and arrow. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> I, I think so. I've seen a couple. It's it's hard to keep track. Like you know, yeah. One's like you know, it's like a ball attached to a string and swing it around. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, no, I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, I, I have a few last final questions that I sure. ask um, all my guests, and and we'll just start with number one. But looking back on your freshman year of college, self. What piece of advice would you give to yourself?
1: Ooh, um, well, other than the obvious stuff, like, you know, invest in this stock or, you know, yeah, right, buy, yeah. buy Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> you know, okay. So I presume that that's not really what we're going for. Um, I, I would say, and this has become something that I think about a lot. I think that, you know, a lot of the times when we're in college, you know, we think of ourselves as kind of being bulletproof and we're young and we can get away with so much stuff. And I think back to, you know, I was a collegiate athlete, not a great one. Um, But I think back to, it's like, if I wasn't trying to, for all intents and purposes, like intentionally destroy my body with like crappy food and not sleeping and doing all kinds of stupid things, I wonder what I could have accomplished. So I think what I would have, I wish I had discovered a lot earlier that just because something is working doesn't mean it's working nearly as well as it could. Where, you know, I was, I was strong and a decent athlete But that is not in itself proof positive that you're doing everything else right. Because I know now that if I had done other things right, I would have been much stronger and a much better athlete. You know, I think about, um, it's kind of like I I hear stories about some professional athletes that, you know, eat candy and like they have some stupid, like crazy diet regimens. Like, well, he's a professional athlete. He must be doing something right. It's like, well, yeah, but he could be a better professional athlete. if He was doing so many (laughs) stupid things. (laughs) So uh, I think trying to illustrate the difference that just because something is going well is not the same as proof that it could be going much, much better.
0: Exactly. And I, and I think about that too, you know, as a, as a former collegiate athlete, like I would, I would leave, I think like probably four days out of the week, go to what we call the tavern and at like 11 PM at night, get chicken tenders and fries. You know, it's like, that's not sustainable. (laughs) That's not going to help you at all. All right. A couple more. Um, what was the worst advice you ever took and executed on?
1: Hmm. Worst advice. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I, I can't think of anybody right now where like this one guy gave me this piece of advice and boy, did it turn out to be a dumpster fire. But I'll, I'll reference back to kind of what I talked about earlier in the first half of my career, where kind of the chain of in, or the, the, the flow of information that I was getting from within a particular practice, and that was the only source of information that I got, was really problematic because in hindsight, it was wrong. Um, you know, I was super excited to, you know, get my CrossFit level one and learn all the ways to become a great CrossFit coach. And I bought into a hook, line and sinker and I followed that advice for a long time and it it got me here um, and I, I'm, I'm I'm glad for that. But um, in hindsight, it was very imperfect advice and I would have been much better served intentionally trying to seek out counterpoints to the things that I thought were right and matched so much with my worldview.
0: That's a great answer. Great answer. All right, last one. What do you do to sharpen your sword and refine your craft?
1: Hmm. Um, well you know, right now that is not an, um, optional thing. We all have to find ways to sharpen our sword and be better at what we do and pivots because I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sink or swim out there right now and it's tough. And I, I really do sympathize with a lot of the young professionals and, and, or even, you know, established young, small businesses that are really struggling right now. And it's, it's, it's tough. And I don't know that there's a great answer that can, you know, save anybody or me or any, I don't know. Um, but I will say something specific, um, that I've been trying to do much more lately. I, 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 I've been prioritizing creative time and trying to kind of book that on my calendar and leave it wide open where we have, you know, so much of our day is just, noise just in one way or another appointments on the calendar. And uh, in my case, chasing a young kiddo around the house and just phone calls and TV and media and just so much input. And the time that we have to just think and be alone with our thoughts in silence is just, it's been whittled down to nothing. And I've been really trying lately to spend, if nothing, if nothing else, just 15 minutes a day before I kind of really launch into my work day. I, I have a cup of tea. I turn on some ambient music. I meditate or I do what, whatever. I just sit and think and let ideas kind of bounce around. And it has done more for my productivity and for my creativity than frankly, anything that I've discovered in the last probably four or five years.
0: Wow, that's that's a really good answer, and actually something I'm gonna start doing a little bit more too because uh, you're right. Like we just don't do that anymore.
1: It it sounds, I know it sounds kind of hippy dippy, and you know, but you know, call call it what you want, but just having a little time to be quiet and think is so important. And you know, what it's made me think about is, I'm sure you can relate to this at some time or another, and I certainly know a lot of other folks that can. You know, the feeling like when the day is finally over and you lie down in bed and you're just trying to get some sleep and you have God knows how many things rattling around inside your brain. Just you're trying to settle down, but you just can't because you just have these thoughts bouncing around. And I'm not an expert in this at all, but I, I feel like it's like, well, maybe you should give those thoughts a chance to rattle around a little earlier in the day. Let give them yeah. an outlet, give, give you a chance, give you a chance to give yourself a chance to process that when you can actually do something about it. And I feel like that's, I, I feel like when I sit down and I take my quiet 10 minutes with just sitting in my office chair with the lights out and my ambient music, it feels kind of like I'm trying to fall asleep, except when I come out of it, I can actually do something about all of
0: those thoughts. <laughs> You're so right. And it sounds so simple, but it's, sometimes it can be the most impossible thing to do during the day.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and it, it's, it's good to, that you're carving out time on your schedule and making it a priority.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I, one thing that I think it goes hand in hand with that is, you know, we are, we are all extraordinarily busy um, for better or worse. And all, oftentimes we share some of those responsibilities with a business partner or a domestic partner or, children or mm-hmm. family or whatever. So I, I can appreciate where trying to carve out time to do those when there are so many other responsibilities is a real challenge. So one thing that I've tried to do is if I'm going to insist that I have time to do that, that I also carve out time for the people that are important to me to do that too. Because otherwise it's, it's one-sided. And if it's important for me, then it's equally important for the the people that are close to me. So, you know, if you, if you need to carve out 10 minutes for yourself, carve out 20 minutes and your other half gets the the other 10.
0: Wow. That's wow. Preach. Honestly, preach. (laughs) That's, that's, that's enlightening and, and, and amazing. And also, I think that's just a great stopping point, um, to wrap everything up of what we talked about. Um, everything that you've done in your career, Noah. Thank you for taking the time. Um, where can where can people find you on social media, your website, whatever that may be?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, priority strength is the word. It's a, a priority strength, all one word. Uh, prioritystrength.com. and same thing on Facebook and all the social medias. That's where you can find us.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Noah. And you know, I want to acknowledge you just real quick. You're you're someone that has been so influential to me in terms of my strength and fitness regimen and someone that I look up to in terms of how detailed oriented you are. And you're a great friend to me. So I want to thank you again for making the time to do this. You know, we'll talk soon.
1: Well, uh, that's very kind of you to say, and I'm honored and thanks for the opportunity to be here today.
0: Great. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. I want to thank Noah again for taking the time to do this interview and sitting down with me and discussing everything in terms of, you know, the fitness industry and how he's developed his own business. It was extremely enlightening. And, you know, I I really did learn a lot on the different topics that we hit on. So I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. Please subscribe rate and review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, LinkedIn, everything like that at beyond the profile. So please check us out there. Leave us a comment, leave us a review, anything like that. We're always open to everything. So again, hope you guys enjoyed it. Much love.